On this episode of AvTalk, we review what we know about the crash of Atlas Air 3591, incredulously read through the Aeromexico Connect Flight 2431 report, recap our correct predictions about the A380, and Jason and Jeremy Dwyer Lindgren head to Florida for some rare plane spotting. Hello and welcome to episode 52 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz. Hello, Ian. Hello, Jason. How are you, sir? I am well. How are you? I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, I'm, I'm Just okay? Just, I mean, you know, it's cold and flu season, so uh, that's been fun. Oh, you know, my sympathies. Thank thank you. It's, it's always, you know, nice to have uh, whatever's going around come around. Yeah, but, well, you uh, do have, you know children and children are sticky and gross they they are sticky and gross most of the time that is very very true speaking Hmm. of sticky and gross how are your flights they were um the flights were not sticky and gross but miami was because it was 85 degrees yeah i I didn't 100 humidity in miami this weekend so so you were you were in miami at the airport photographing ancient cargo planes everything yes i was at three airports miami international opalaca uh the weird little ga private field and also fort lauderdale I was down there with my buddy Jeremy Dwyer Lindgren, who I'll speak to a bit later about what we did down there. But moral of the story was lots of airplanes, lots of old airplanes, lots of weird airlines you don't see anywhere else in North America other than MIA. Yeah. And you were down there this weekend and kind of a weird coincidence, you were pulling in and you passed the Atlas Air 767 on your way to the gate. Yeah, that was actually just as we were touching down on the runway, I'm not sure which one at Miami, out the window, because I was in a window seat, of course, I had seen an Atlas Air 767 in the Amazon Air livery, and that's not something that really ever comes into New York. So I quickly grabbed my phone and and took a picture of it, and unknowingly that was likely the or one of the very last photos ever taken of that aircraft as it was just before its uh, flight to Houston later that day where it unfortunately did not arrive safely. And our thoughts are with the the Atlas family, the the Mesa family, and the United family this week because the, the, the two pilots flying the, the 767 that crashed shortly before landing in Houston uh, were Atlas Air pilots. And the, there was a jump seater who was a, a Mesa Airlines pilot who had recently been hired by United, who was uh, who was jump seating on, on his way to work because the, I mean that's it's how they the, get to work. Yeah, I mean when you can when you're a pilot or a flight attendant, you can live you know thousands of miles from from your home base and and kind of commute to work where there's space available. So that's a, a mystery thus far. As of we're uh, recording the 26th of February. And uh, as of yet, the the flight data recorder and the cockpit voice recorder have not yet been recovered. That uh, it sounds like it's going to be quite the process, uh, given that the the recorders have been been buried in mud, and the that makes them much more difficult to find. Although, as we've seen with with the Lion Air crash, not impossible, just quite a bit more difficult. So the uh, Robert Sumwalt, the chairman of the National Transportation Safety Board, said yesterday that he expects it to take some time, but they're looking very hard for those as their first priority. Yeah, a bit of a 
complete mystery right now. We really don't know what happened, why it happened, or, or really anything. We just know the facts of something completely catastrophic happened on approach. What were they, 30 miles outside of Houston? Yeah, about that, over uh, over Trinity Bay. So Yeah, so whatever happened, unfortunately, happened very, very quickly, and they were not able to recover from it. We will keep you updated when we hear further information from the NTSB, but right now, we, we really don't know much of anything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the only thing we know is that whatever happened, happened quickly and, and put the aircraft into a, a, a steep nose down attitude as, as evidenced by the, the ADSB data coming from the aircraft. And there was uh, video footage recovered from a jail near the crash site um, that, that kind of confirms that aspect of the, the event of the accident. But uh, other than that, we don't really know much. And, and We'll, we'll hope that uh, the flight data recorder and the cockpit voice recorder are recovered soon and, and we, we learn more. Yeah, and we do have an update on another crash that happened several months ago, the Aeromexico Connect crash in Durango. The Mexican authorities put out some new information about that today and holy crap, was there a plot twist. I mean, th this is just one of those things that you you don't. You I don't expect it I, I because did not it's not, expect not this supposed at all. to be a thing. I did this not is expect ridiculous. this. Ridiculous. Go break, ahead. Break down what happened. Okay, so there were the report issued by the the Mexican authorities today, basically lays the the primary reasoning for for the crash on wind shear. And the aircraft uh, was departing in into a wind shear situation, and there there were some you know some factors that went into contributing to kind of an uh, unsafe uh, situation for takeoff. But but a major contributing factor was that the pilot who was flying should not have been. He wasn't even certified to fly an Embraer. He was a a pilot with experience in smaller twin engine aircraft. I think the the the, um, the beach beachcraft. Um, beach yeah, the uh, the King Air, I believe. King Air, that's it. And that pilot had begun training for to become a pilot in an Embraer. And yeah, he had something like 60 hours in the simulator or something inconsequential. Yeah. He had, uh, uh, yeah, 64 hours of simulator activity and he had begun his training in May of 2018 and, and the crash occurred in July. So, so he had two months of, of theoretical training and 64 hours uh, of uh, simulator activity before this crash. And, and so the, he was sitting in the first officer's seat and flying the aircraft until uh, the report says eight seconds before before the crash, and so there were a number of things that that happened that should not have happened. The first of which is having a unqualified human being sitting in the first officer's seat, or even in the flight deck at all. Right? I, yeah, and I'm not I'm not sure what their I'm I'm not sure what the the policy and I'm not sure if the report got into that about the policy of sitting on you know jump seat or anything like that, but that was just incredible to me that they would that that would happen. Yeah, quite remarkable. That I mean, why would you even do that when the when the weather conditions were that horrible with wind shear and and the report says there was zero visibility when they were taking off. They had their wipers on. They probably shouldn't have been taking off at all to begin with, but let alone doing that with uh, basically someone untrained flying the aircraft and they're getting all sorts of indications. They weren't following procedure. 
they raised the landing gear something like what was it eight seconds two after, seconds rota- after takeoff two yeah. seconds after rotation like, when uh, oh i'm sorry they were two, the aircraft is a little bit more than two feet off the runway which is absolutely ridiculous and thankfully nobody was killed in this crash had somebody been killed i assume the federal authorities in mexico would have charged these this crew with with murder I would hope so, because this is ridiculous to let someone completely unqualified and untrained pilot a commercial aircraft. At minimum, I hope this crew has their license revoked for life because they put everyone on that aircraft in mortal danger. At what point, how does that thought process work? At what point do you say to yourself, I know this person doesn't know what they're doing. I know this is probably an unsafe situation, but sure, have a seat. Sure. Pilot this aircraft. There are only 76 people in the back. I'm sure they'll be fine. Oh, we crashed. I mean, I can't even I can't even give like an analogy to that because there really isn't – I mean, piloting an aircraft is, is a particular – a singular skill. I mean, you could say I wouldn't let somebody drive a car, but I mean, you're not leaving yeah, yeah, the car ground. You can figure out. There's, there's a thing that makes it go. And there's another thing that makes it stop, and you have a wheel to turn. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, for the life of me, do not understand why this would even be the situation that they would find themselves in. I don't know. And, and yes, the the report does mention or, or say explicitly that the the primary factor here was the the wind shear and the terrible weather. But maybe if you know. The pilot and co-pilot or, or uh, pilot flying was a little more uh, in tune with the weather and the situation there and not, you know, letting his buddy fly the plane. They would have not taken off. There's a whole – I mean we, we've talked about this I think every time that there's a – every time that there's an accident or, or a crash or, or, you know, there's a, a chain of factors. And one of the big links in this chain of factors was really poor situational awareness. Yeah. Don't Don't do that. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes of this beyond this report as far as some possible legal action or things like that. If I was the airline, I would be – I mean because now they're liable for all sorts of things. Oh, yeah. If I were a passenger that survived this crash, I'd be suing everybody within sight. And and to be fair, I don't have a, a strong comprehension of the Mexican legal system. Nor do I. But so, I can only assume you just sue everyone, and then something good will happen. <laughs> that that's that's our title for the episode. So so yeah. what happened immediately after we recorded the last podcast? All of the things that we predicted came true. Yep, we, which is we the first time that's yep. ever happened. Yep, but we always know that the second we hit stop on this recording, major news breaks. Exactly. And this time, it was the official announcement that Airbus would halt production on the A380. They are done. Well, I mean, they're not done yet, but almost. They're they're they, saying they have done. announced their intention to be done. Yes. So there are two another two years of. A380 production. Basically, they have to finish out the order that Emirates has in now, build what, uh, one more for ANA and yeah. call it a day? That's pretty much it. Yeah. So, uh, so 2021, they... the A380 production line will be shuttered, barring someone coming along and saying, I will buy 2,000, here's a firm order, cash up front. Mm, I don't see that happening. I don't yeah, either. All the... All the marketing, all the changes Airbus had planned over the years from the 11 abreast seating to the 
A380 Neo, which never materialized, to the A380 Plus, which put some fancy winglets on. None of that ever materialized. None of it was enough to to really entice any new airlines or even existing airlines to order some more A380s. So come 2021, production of the 380 will officially be a thing of the past, but the A380 will still be in the air for, I'm sure, many, many years to come. Oh, absolutely. And and I think that one of the things that we didn't discuss last episode that I think is worth discussing this episode is is your – you killed the A380. Mm, I had – you know, it there was are, you. are some of my fingerprints on the knife. To to be fair. I, I mean it, – and so we go back to – and we may have talked about this story before. But a, a picture of you sitting in the mock-up of the 11 abreast A380 helped drive – strong reaction strong negative reaction to that idea oh yes uh, i'm not saying an 11 abreast a380 would have saved the program but but you definitely it, it's all your fault i mean i didn't do anything other than <laughs> sit in their mock-up and and people took pictures of it and said holy crap that looks terrible because i mean it kind of was the window seats you were smushed right yeah. up against the sidewall and a lot of your foot space was taken up by the bottom of the foot uh, the uh, sidewall so yeah, it would have been terrible, and people react really negatively to that. Some there were even some accusations that photos were doctored and that it couldn't possibly be like that. But yeah, nobody decided to go with that. I, I kind of think it was a ridiculous idea anyway, because I don't think the A three eighty's problem was that you couldn't squeeze another twenty eight seats on board anyway. Because how many A three eighties fly at a hundred percent load factor? Sure, with? sure. Yeah, no, I I, I think that. I would say that the major contributing factor was just that the economics of the aircraft. The, yeah, the it landscape did, it didn't changed. work. It, it's it's a I four mean, engine it, aircraft. It doesn't work. You could accomplish the the same with the two engine aircraft. There's an absolute ton that you have to do to get that aircraft certified and airports ready to go and new equipment. It, it's a major major investment, and I don't think many airlines were. We're up to that. And the airlines we see today that have the A380 are actually, some of them are paring back their fleets. Um, Qantas canceled their long, long outstanding order. Air France, I believe, is returning three of their A380. Yep. Singapore has already been yeah, retired. Yeah, they'll go down to seven in the fleet. Somebody mentioned to me the other day that, that O'Hare looks pretty, uh, pretty smart now, don't they? Only yeah, yeah. T having taken 10 years to build one A380 gate. Yeah, so it I, takes I thought that was an interesting... I thought that was an interesting take on the situation. Yeah, I mean, it takes O'Hare a long time to do anything. Didn't you just get a central de-icing pad like yesterday? Yeah, last week. Yeah, it snows a lot in Chicago, but here we are in 2019, your first centralized de-icing area. Eh, and, it, and it's only at one end of the airport. So if if the airport's operating in a east to west direction, uh, it the whole thing's for naught. Oh, I'm sure that never happens. Though. No, no. Only about 50% of the time. <laughs> oh, okay. Never mind. It's. I'm sure a lot of airport administrations are kind of kicking themselves saying we spent so much goddamn money retrofitting our airports to fit the A380 and it came once and we broke it. Chicago. 
Yeah, yeah, there there is that. Anyway, I mean, it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, which airlines kind of maintain it, and and now that the production is, what happens to that secondary market? I, I think has always been the the biggest question. Um, so that that'll be interesting yep. to see whether or not one develops or not, and and we just end up with you know some sort of weird desert attraction outside of Dubai with hundreds Ooh. of Emirates A three eighties parked in. Kind of a, a weird thing for archaeologists thousands of years from now to, to That'd find. That'd be cool. Oh, and by the way, Emirates did cancel a, a chunk of their 380s order, or rather converted to, I believe, the A330neo and A350? Mm-hmm. They did. So it's, uh, you know, two engines for long haul. Yeah. So the A330neo got a little um, resurgence picking up in the, the wake of the A380's death. It's a weird game out there. Speaking of weird games, let's take a quick break and then come back to you and Jeremy down in Florida and see what uh, you guys got up to while you were down there. We'll be right back. Greetings from Hollywood. I'm here with Jeremy Dwyer Lindgren, who has been on this podcast more times than I guess we're we're willing to admit this point because it's just so easy to get you on board, isn't it? Wow, that's the one you're gonna take right out of the gate. Yep. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I'm right. But we're we're not in Hollywood, California. We're in Hollywood, Florida, just south of Fort Lauderdale Airport, where we'll be spending the day tomorrow. But the last day or two we've been spending out at Miami International Airport doing all things avgeek, looking at airplanes, talking about airplanes, smelling airplanes, I guess. There was a lot of that. And that pickup truck. And that pickup truck, yeah. So first of all, thank you to the crew at MIA for hooking us up with a uh, behind-the-scenes tour and ramp tour on um, Saturday of this past week. It was very courteous of them, and thanks to Jeremy for arranging that. And we had some fun, didn't we? I'd say we did. That that goes in among the better tours, I think, that you and I have taken together and I think that I've had in a while. That was, you, you can't, you, you just don't see the stuff you see at MIA too many other places. It's yeah. fantastic. And it's my first time and loved it. Oh, you've never spotted here before? Never, never been to Miami outside of like a hot minute oh. for the A330neo introduction. That's right. Yeah, I've, I've spotted at Miami a couple times. I've actually had a couple ramp tours here as well. And it's one of my favorite places in the world to go airplane spotting just because of the sheer volume of random, unpredictable, and I hate to say it considering what this podcast is, but untrackable stuff that comes into <laughs> Miami. It's There's a lot of stuff from South America that doesn't set their destination as Miami, I guess, and it just kind of pops up or their transponder is... 42 years old in an Airbus A300 and just doesn't really work very well. So stuff just kind of pops up, doesn't it? Pops up and pops in. In the example that, uh, I don't remember the name of the airline, but it's some obscure Venezuelan cargo operator. It's the last frame we got of the day today, which is our, our last day in Miami. It, so it was uh, obscure Venezuelan cargo, cargo operator, and honestly, it, just, it hits all the AvGeek buttons. It was a retro, it was a vintage, it was an obscure airline that we don't see 
in the U.S. And frankly, I'd, I'd bet even among anywhere, you don't see that airplane move too often. Yeah, so that was a Transcarga Airbus A three hundred three B B three. I don't remember the exact B B four. That's it. B four. Yeah. It's um, a very rare bird these days, and we just happened to catch it out of the corner of our eye as we were leaving MIA because it was actually just past sunset. So the sun had gone down. There was still a bit of, I guess, twilight, you would call it, or mm -hmm. twilight lights, just a bit left. They had just changed the runways, and we were able to go to a spot to get a pretty good vantage point and some very noisy pictures. Yeah, I wouldn't call them the best photos I've ever taken, but I kind of don't care. The app geek in me just, it, like I said, it, it ticks all the boxes. Fantastic. It's the reason that you go to MIA. It's the reason I've been dreaming about it for a while. You just There's so much stuff you, you don't see anywhere else, and you don't even know is coming Yeah, and it or going in this case. And just just happened to be an extra orangey glint out of our in both of our eyes on the side that made us wonder, wait a minute. What's what is that? what is that over there? That doesn't look right. It kind of looked like another aircraft that we saw yesterday, which was the TAP A330 retro livery. It kind of looked like that. It had the same red hue to it, sort of. But the orange in the tail wasn't quite quite right. And I thought, gee, did they still have a Martinair special somewhere? But that seemed off too. And the height wasn't the same as an A330. And eventually, we put it together in A300F. Yeah. There was a lot of good other random stuff that we saw. Um, the Avior, I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation of that, so you can send your emails to ian at fr24.com to yell at him for not Definitely not at Airline Flyer. No, don't do that. The A340-300 they send, that random MD-10, or was it a DC-10? I honestly have no idea. It was so dark that it was hard to see what it was, but there was some rando DC-10 or MD-10 that came in. Just before the AVR, in fact, yeah. is the, the pr which, again, probably pronouncing wrong, send your letters to Ian or Airline Flyer. Dot, well, whatever Airline Flyer is where handle is. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't on anything. No. He would have had no idea it was coming except for that it was there. It just showed up. So the reason you can't track a lot of the stuff that comes into MIA is because they are 30, 40-plus-year-old aircraft with old transponders that rely on MLAT rather than ADS-B. And that requires multiple receivers to pick them up. And since they're coming off the coast, over the ocean, there are no receivers out there. And I assume there just isn't very good MLAT coverage. So they don't really don't pop up in coverage until they're basically on top of you. No, and we watched a World Atlantic MD-80, which is another kind of highlight, which I know is, is somewhat predictable around these parts, but we're not from around these parts. So to me, it's pretty exotic. A, an MD-80, we don't see those in Seattle anymore, and then B, World Atlantic MD-80 of all things. But we watched it coming up off the coast of Puerto Rico, I can't remember where it was coming from, and it turned from a baggage cart that was really hauling ass to an MD-80 to it completely disappeared, came back, disappeared, and then for the last 40 or 50 miles, it, its last position was well off the coast of Florida, and then it appeared right in front of us. Yeah, it was transitioning between FAA data and MLAT right. and ADSB. It was all over the place, but we got it. And a lot of the reason that I love taking ramp tours at MIA is not so much the stuff that comes and goes every day. It's the stuff that never leaves. A lot of the grounds at MIA is taken up by 
aircraft that are repoed. So basically, the airline either went out of business or can't pay their lease fees, and they basically get repossessed by their lessors here, and they don't go anywhere for days, months, years. Ever. Ever. A lot of the airfield is taken up by heavy maintenance, and a lot of work is done here. We saw several Ethiopian 737s being converted to freighters, actually. That's very cool. An Ethiopian 75 even showed up. That two. Two of them. They were coming up from somewhere in South America. I guess they were stopping in, in Miami for a gas and go along their way back to Africa, I guess. It's a hell of a long way. But there's a lot of heavy work done here. We saw a bunch of Venezuelan MD-83s, I think, laser airlines, was it? The yeah, ba- two of them. Two, yep. two of them. Former the, bare, the bare metal MD-80s, which is really cool. Oh, they look so good. A retired American 763, which kind of had most of its livery removed, but you could still very clearly tell that the... the uh, Paint on the rudder was still present. I believe they're probably converting that to a freighter as well. And you had a particular favorite, a long favorite. A long favorite. Oh, yeah, that's right. I particularly, I'm a big fan of Convairs, have been for some time. And we saw a stretch Convair 5800, which only only a handful of uh, exist to this day. Only two that I could find. Rumor has it there was up to five made. Uh, but they basically took two Convair 580s and parted them out both together to make a Franken Convair known as the Super Convair 5800. And we actually saw one of them flying, yeah. which uh, they, they're powered with the Allison Turbo Props. So their their radials are no longer with them, though most of the 580s. Uh, were upgrades to turbo props, so that wouldn't be that out of the norm. But it was it was pretty cool to see them, and then to look it up and find out after the fact that they're one of only a handful of conversions ever made. And they started with a Canadian freight operator, Kelowna. Again, apologize for my likely mispronunciation, but it, it again just an example of the type of thing that you only see in South Florida and Miami specifically. It, you, a CV fifty eight hundred. Who would have even doesn't thought? exist elsewhere. It really doesn't. We saw a bunch of other little prop stuff on the ramps. Um, the shorts that were um, uh, yeah. in ex-American Eagle livery, you could still very clearly make out that they were ex-Eagle. Pretty sure the windshields on those things are made out of plastic. They didn't even look like they were made of glass. They probably don't get very high up there. No, anymore. I'm pretty sure it was recycled uh, Recycled McDonald's uh, playground the outside glass yeah, there. On all the, the cowlings were open on that thing. They were they were doing some work. And they, of, they mentioned it goes to the Bahamas every day, yeah. except for apparently those two days because it, that that thing wasn't going anywhere. No. But and, and speaking of cowlings, as soon as we started spotting at MIA, we actually saw or rather heard some, I guess, engine compression stalls or surges on a. MD-80 that was taxing out to the runway and was, ah, what is that? It sounds like a compressor stall. And sure enough, the fire truck started rolling out and they inspected the MD-80 and back to the gate it went. And thus is where we found it yeah. several hours later, sitting with the, the engine wide open and four or five mechanics doing their job and trying to figure out how to fix it. But that, that puppy wasn't going anywhere. We saw, I heard six of them in uh, double thud. So two se- uh, three sets of Three sets of two for six. They're pretty uh, noticeable. Yeah. And the spotting community here 
at MIA is also particularly fantastic. I feel like there are a lot of good public accessible spots where mm-hmm. it wasn't even people taking photos of aircraft. It was it was families just out there kind of hanging out and looking at airplanes. Yeah, I, I think that was one of the things that struck me. I don't think I know. It was one of the things that struck me. And I've, I mean, both of us have, have had the privilege and the uh, the lucky break to have been spotting in a lot of places around the world. And the amount of places that you can, that I can think of that have families just out watching planes come and go is, is surprisingly small, especially yeah. in the U.S., where, A, I don't think that's generally a, a super big thing to begin with, and B, it's it's not always encouraged where it could be done. And there were spotter-friendly locations, family-friendly locations all over the airport, and I'd, I'd say most of the time when we pulled up to a spot, people just casually watching with their kids or just watching on their own, no photography involved, no radio involved, no logbook involved, just going for the pure thrill of watching plane comes in. That was the majority of the people we saw out there today. And I think that's great. Yeah. I wish that was more of the case throughout more of the United States. Unfortunately, it's kind of shunned and actively um, Mm -hmm. prevented in most of the U.S. But here at Miami, they actually, at one of the points by the confluence of, of the cross runway and one of the parallels they actually have holes in the fence where you can stick your camera lens through it and take photos of, of landing aircraft without having a fence in the way which is something i don't know of anywhere else in north america no it's even pretty hard to come across abroad too that's, that's just extremely unusual to see that kind of thing and even then it's usually tied to observation decks i can think of a couple in japan that way yeah but to have it next to an active runway. I mean, you could hit those planes with a Frisbee if you want to. Please don't. Yeah, don't uh, do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you need to ask why, then it's already too far gone. But you're extremely close. And they've, they've got, you, you could use a 70 millimeter. That, that's insane to do in almost any other place. It's I was, crazy. I was too close. I, I was using a 70 to 300. And even at 70, I was too close. We're sensing a train coming. Anyway, yeah, it was just great. And unfortunately, it sounds like those holes are likely to go away come summer. The cargo ramp area is expected to expand, and that spot's likely to disappear. And that's been a well-renowned spot in the aviation community. So so I can't promise that the holes are going away, but certainly the rumor uh, around here is that uh, it will likely be subsumed by uh, uh, some cargo ramp development, and uh, several cargo ramps are in that area, so that wouldn't exactly be surprising. So go while you can. It's it's seriously it's it's phenomenal. It's an angle that you just you don't get to take in at virtually any other airport. It's a great spot. Lots of people were there today, and you get usually most of the European action. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I'm just trying to wrap up real quick and think what was the coolest arrivals or departures we saw. And obviously number oh, one, we already named that number one in a long time in, in my book was was the Venezuelan A300 well at the top for a long time number two i hate to admit it but probably the tap retro a330 it's such a good looker it is but yeah yeah you know my stance with them (laughs) the the md10 or the dc10 we still don't know even what airline it was but still cool to see one of them i I mean it had that retro color blue how can you go wrong right faded blue faded blue but if you look at the picture i took it's just pure black Speaking of pure black, we saw the Lufthansa A380 in new livery with yeah. the modified, oops, we made it too dark tail. 
that the the convert fifty eight thousand no fifty eight hundred. Oh yeah, that was that was great. That's again, there's literally a handful yeah. in the world. That's pretty awesome. A lot of Swift Air seven three sevens. I think it's cool just because it's very unusual and doesn't belong here. Was the Wow Air A three twenty one, which has been doing shuttles between Miami and the Caribbean, mainly Cuba, I believe, for months because they are probably making a lot more money flying to Cuba than they are flying uh, Americans from JFK to Reykjavik for $41 each way. I was going to say that's got to be the only route that makes money for them. Probably, yeah. So if you're in Miami and you happen to see a Wow Air 321, you know why. I'm a little disappointed that I never got to see the Air France A320 that does the same thing. I've never seen the Air France 320 that runs out of Miami and does kind of a, a milk run through the Caribbean. I've never gotten to see that. But we did see other aircraft that don't quite feel like they belong here. Goals 737 Maxes that come all the way up from southern Brazil. It's like an eight-hour flight up here to Miami. So we saw a couple of those. The Masochist Express. Yeah, I wouldn't really recommend that much time in the 737, but it's better than transferring, I guess. I don't know. Is it? No, probably not. There you go. And a lot of the international heavies were were stuff that I see all the time at JFK in New York. Yeah, but it's nice to get a nice fresh angle on them, some good light, different place. Yeah. It's still fun. Yep. So that about wraps it up here from Hollywood, Florida, not California. We're hoping to have a pretty good day out at Fort Lauderdale tomorrow. We're actually, where are we headed tomorrow before we head to Fort Lauderdale? We're headed to scenic Opalaka. Right, which is kind of another sort of not official graveyard graveyard in its own right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to what we're going to see there. I think there's a lot of bizarre airplanes. Most of them aren't going anywhere. And I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's like our own little East Coast airplane graveyard. Don't have to go all the way out to California or uh, Arizona for it. Nope, it's going to be awesome. All right, Jeremy, thank you once again for being um, on our little show. I think this is your, like, 15th spot on it or something like that. Yeah, always come crawling back. Yeah, just can't, can't get enough of you. But where can the people find you if they somehow don't already know? You can find me at PhotoJDL on Twitter, and I think I have the same name on Instagram. I don't pay that much attention to it. I do, actually. I just started using it quite a bit more. Fun. Yeah, and occasionally you can catch some of the work I do for the zoo. If you like cute, adorable little red pandas or tree kangaroos, it's a good place to find something that's adorable. Cool. Well, thanks again, and back to the rest of the podcast, I guess. Cheers. And speaking of weird games and the end of the line, European airline BMI kind of just shut down overnight recently, didn't they? They did. They did. Yeah. Another one. Yeah. It seems like every episode of this podcast, we talk about another European airline that just kind of vanished overnight. Real quick, I, I will. We got some some folks who, who wrote in last uh, after last episode when we talked about uh, Germania and, and corrected me and, and I misspoke both I think in the podcast and, and in the write-up of the podcast and, and saying that Germania was a low-cost airline. That wasn't their model and they were just a, an airline who, who operated regular flights, charter flights and, and things like that. So they weren't a, a low-cost airline. So I, I'm sorry if I, I 
misspoke and, and kind of lumped them in with a kind of a separate existential issue for the airline industry. How dare you, sir? I I agree. But just uh, categorize just, them in in little little smaller European airlines that no longer exist. There you go. And and so yeah. speaking of small European airlines that don't exist, BMI has gone has gone bust. Yes. I didn't actually even know they were in trouble. Just like Germania. They it seemed like they were there one day and at like nine o'clock at night they said, Okay, thanks for years. We're we're done. What was really interesting to me is somebody tweeted us like a week before this happened. And just said BMI is still flying, and I didn't, yeah, well, I didn't yep. think any. I was like, yeah, they're, they're, I, they. They. I don't know why you would think that they would not be still flying. And then a week later, they're out of business. And so I don't yeah. know if, if that person knew something, if it was just a strange coincidence or or what. But it was it was a weird thing. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that these airlines weren't particularly huge, but both BMI and Germania operated routes that were. In, in some cases, wholly unique and, and had no competition. And now you're going to have to fly through another major city, either London or Frankfurt or Munich, that they did operate a lot of these niche routes that just, you know, no mainline airline is ever going to operate Hamburg to, uh, you know, somewhere in the Middle East that I've never heard of. But it's unfortunate. A lot of these smaller intra-UK or, or intra-smaller secondary European cities don't have direct service anymore. Yeah. That, I mean, and that that's one of the things that I think often gets overlooked when, when we talk about the airlines that, that are no longer operating and that we're losing. It's not necessarily, you know, that there's, there's no service anymore, you know, that there is no coverage, but there are some very unique, very unique, I shouldn't say very unique because that's impossible, unique yep, routes well, that, that, that are gone. Um, yeah, and, well, there are some airports that Germania or, or BMI was their sole airline, and now there are a few airports that have no commercial passenger service anymore. And that and that's something that that has been one of the you know one of the issues with the low cost to kind of bring things together here with the low cost you know troubles over the past couple of years is that the those those airports some of those secondary airports or even you know tertiary airports were looking to low cost carriers to be you know, kind of the the saving anchor, and that hasn't always worked out. Yeah, it just feels like in Europe at some point every airline is going to be owned by IAG, Lufthansa Group, or, or Ryanair. Oi. Yeah. And on that fun note, <laughs> let's move over to our episodic check of the Norwegian seven three seven stuck in Iran. Is it still let in me, Iran? Let me let me see. Let me check my notes. No. It went home. It left. Yay. Finally. It finally, finally last week after an engine swap brought in from, I'm not sure where the engine came from, but after what must be much, much, much paperwork completed, they finally got their new engine and shuttled the long-stranded 737 MAX back home. Yeah, it, it flew back. It flew from Shiraz to Stockholm, spent a couple days in Stockholm, and finally went back to Oslo today. I'm pretty so. sure that aircraft spent more time on the ground in Iran than it had in service prior to that diversion because it was a very new aircraft. It spent 70 days on the ground 
and it had been in service for I don't know exactly how long, but we'll uh, we'll have to figure that one out. I think it was new as of uh, maybe October or, or early November of the year prior. So, so. There, there's a good chance that those numbers could be 50-50. Yeah, that's, that's a very long time. So somebody somewhere at Norwegian's head office is now intimately familiar with Iranian relations. Yeah, I mean, it's just I, I don't know what it took to get everything squared away, and how everything you know kind of came together. But there was there was a lot of a lot of paperwork involved. Yep. So good for them. The aircraft uh, will hopefully be back in service soon. I'm sure they're saying let's never do that again. Yep. Well, you gotta do what you gotta do, and if you have to divert to Iran, so be it. Indeed. Should we take a quick break? And then come back and find out if the seat back in front of you is spying on you? Spoiler alert, it isn't. Aha! We'll be right back after a short break. So, as we alluded to before the break, the seat back in front of you is not spying on you. Jason... Are you sure? I mean, I'm not sure about anything, but I'm pretty sure about this. So I am shocked about how this kind of blew up on social media and then the mainstream media a few days later that somebody had posted a picture uh, from Singapore Airlines of a little camera embedded in the CPAC entertainment system. They said, why, why is this here? What is it doing? And then, you know, people kind of freaked out singapore had to get all defensive why is this camera here why didn't you tell me what are you doing with it are you trying to rob me and take my children no they're they're not doing any of that so panasonic is a very 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 large manufacturer of in-flight entertainment systems and a few years back they had a couple neat ideas that you could put a little camera like a, a webcam that you see in a laptop or iPad in the seatback entertainment system so you could do seat to seat chat or some biometric passport information so you could basically clear customs before you even land and they basically put that camera in the hardware of the IFE system so it's not a consumer grade tablet or anything these systems are are custom manufactured by Panasonic in their own facility in Japan that I visited and I've seen them assemble these things and the camera doesn't actually do anything now. No airline in the world has done anything with it except for Emirates where they have that cool concierge thing where you click a button and you have a video chat with the flight attendant and then they bring you, I don't know, some very expensive champagne. But people kind of freaked out and I can't really, I kind of see the privacy thing, but what do people think that they're going to do with this super up-close-in-your-face webcam view of you in the economy in the middle seat. I, I don't know. I don't know what people think. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what the what they thought was happening. I, I guess that was the, the like, what, I understand the, hey, what is this? But I don't understand why everyone was so concerned. And did, do they not know that there are cameras in the cabin? Looking I mean, down on everybody. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, it is right in front of your face. But what, what do people think they're going to do with that? And some people are asking me, well, I mean, this is, this is a lot that would take a lot of bandwidth to, you know, upload that and do things with it in the air. No, airlines are not taking their precious, precious Wi-Fi bandwidth and live streaming video feeds of 300 passengers' faces to the ground or anything. It literally does not do anything. 
Now, that would be interesting. Yeah, I don't know what one does with that, but uh, sure. Yeah. No, I, I, I think the I think the interesting part is that, you know, we've gotten to the point where we're so suspicious of technology and, and perhaps rightfully so generally because we've allowed so much into our lives that, you know, now anytime a camera or a microphone pops up, it's the end of the world. Yeah, I, I can't wait to get on my next flight and see people putting little post-it notes in front of the camera on these screens like it's going to do something. Yeah, I guess if if you feel uncomfortable, just put put a post-it note over it while, while do you're whatever on your makes flight. you happy. There you go. So I got yelled at and Oh no, what'd you do? I'm gonna I'm gonna start I'm episode fifty two is Ian's apology tour. I did a terrible, terrible thing. I mispronounced the British Overseas Airways Corporations. It's not it's not an acronym, it's an initialism. And oh. I apologize. I apologize Ooh. to anyone who was rightfully offended by my my dreaded mispronunciation. So British Airways has painted a 747-400 in the BOAC livery and it is now flying commercially back in service and it looks beautiful. Uh, it came to Chicago on one of the worst weather days that we've had all winter. It wasn't just snowy. It was really snowy and foggy and kind of this like uh, freezing rain grapple stuff. So not only did I, I lose feeling in my hands, I was soaking wet and it was terrible pictures, but I saw it and it looked great even then. Yeah. I uh, unfortunately didn't get to go out and see it at JFK as it did come in, but I'm excited that they also have, uh, what was it, a 320 in the new livery? In the BOAC livery? No. No, that's a 7.4. Yeah, that's a 7.4. So there's a 319 in the paint shop in Shannon right now, uh, Uh, and that's going to be in the British European Airlines livery, livery, livery. And that should be out early March. Uh, is so that it's also be in for, an initialism? Week. I'm not even going to try. I, I believe it's BEA because if you just pronounced it, it would be BIA. So BIA? I, I don't know. So this is two of what is rumored to be four, correct? I believe so. Two of four. I believe that there are two more 747s if, if I understand correctly, though I could be both wrong and misinformed. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah. And uh, speaking of retros in Europe, we had another one announced this week, didn't we? Austrian has been, their special schemes have been something special. Yeah, uh, that was well put. They they brought back their 1980s livery on an A319, A320, I believe. That was something that uh, is, I think, back in service yesterday on the, the, the 25th of February. So look for that. And we'll put a link to all of the aircraft, how to track all of these aircraft in the show notes, just so that uh, it's easy, you know, a one-click tracking solution. But a, a very good-looking plane. And, and so uh, look look for that one in Europe. Very nice. Yesterday... There was some video from Gibraltar. Yes, there sure was. There sure was. And so I started my day with a bunch of people who had tweeted at the Flight Radar 24 handle and said, did you see this? And and I had been sleeping. So the answer up to that point had been no. But then I saw it. And my first reaction was like, that doesn't look like Gibraltar. And that looks like a, a British Airways A320 doing a wing wave. 
So my initial reaction was, I don't think it's a fake video, but I would like to know more. It, did it really happen yesterday? Is this really, you know, Gibraltar, things like that? Turns out that yes, it really was Gibraltar. The aircraft was kind of a roll oscillation. There was a lot going on there. And, and so it was quite windy. There was, as, as it usually is at Gibraltar, and the aircraft executed a, a go around and diverted to Malaga further up the, uh, the Spanish coast. So they were on approach. They had turned to final and decided that they, the, the winds just were not, not something they wanted to, to continue the approach with and, and decided to, to go up. And from there, the plane was basically rocking its wings. I, if you are an A320 pilot, I would really, really like to know if this was kind of an autopilot-induced thing that, that Airbus has designed to deal with wind shear or, you know, part of the, 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 go, the, the toga power uh, or, or something like that because it looked so mechanical to me that, that it had to be on purpose. And so if, it, if the pilot wasn't doing it on purpose, is there an autopilot function to deal with, with wind shear or, or winds or, or something like that, that that would explain this? Because I would love to know. So if you know, if you know what was happening there or, or have some, some very good ideas, we would love to hear from you podcast at fr24.com and, and we'll deal with that in, in a future episode. I, I reached out to a couple A320 pilots and I'm waiting to hear back uh, and hopefully we'll learn more uh, in the next episode. A very interesting thing that, that I'd never seen before and, and something that I would love to learn more about. Yeah, really wonder if that was uh, under control of the autopilot or if that was manual. I guess even on an A320, even under manual flight, you're, you're kind of just asking the computers, hey, can I do this? And the computer says, yeah, you can do it. So everything really is controlled by the computers on the 320. But I have never seen anything like that before. And I'm kind of shocked that the video passengers were just so outright calm. I mean, it, it didn't look upsetting. I mean, it, it, it was just wind goes up, wind goes down, wind goes up, wind goes down. They're climbing. I mean, I, I didn't – to me, I, I would – you know, because the av geek sitting in a plane and that's happening, I would be like, ooh, this is cool. And yeah. then, uh, of course, I would be, you know – knocking on on the flight tech door after we landed going so what was that yeah that that really made my approach into LaGuardia yesterday look like nothing go on well it was you know just extremely windy here yesterday and I, I think we had wind gusts over 60 miles an hour so it was a very sporty approach yeah th those are always fun does not have the longest runway yeah that's true we had the same thing the day before but the winds were right down the runway so it just made for some blazingly fast approach speeds. I, I think the, the slowest I saw was a, a China Airlines cargo uh, 747 that was the, – the ground speed on approach was something like 102 knots. Yeah, thankfully, <laughs> uh, the, wind, the wind was pretty much straight down 3-1, but that last turn, we do pretty much a 90-degree turn to line up with the runway and it was really, really getting rocked as we made that turn. So that was, that was fun. It's it's always nice to be reminded that you're you know you're in a kind you know you're in an airplane. Yeah, and that was in a three twenty. I, I wouldn't want to be someone in one of the little CRJ two hundreds oh, doing yeah. that approach yesterday. Yeah, no thanks. Dublin joined a an illustrious club this week with a confirmed drone sighting above the airfield that halted arrivals and departures for a confirmed. short while. Well, well, they're in a different class than. The last time. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that, that's what the airport said, a confirmed drone sighting, such as it is. You know, it, it lasted for a very short time and then 
they they resumed operations. But uh, I, we're going to have to start keeping a tail. Like, I think airports are going to start feeling left out. Yeah, well, Dublin actually saw their drone. Apparently, Gatwick, there's still no evidence that there ever was one. We're, we're searching for it. So that's uh, got, uh, got somebody on the case, I'm sure. Dublin now joins the list of the, um, well, confirmed drone sightings. Tell me more about uh, a passenger who is being sued by an airline. So, yeah, this is yet another incident of a uh, Chinese passenger throwing coins into the engine for good luck as they board the aircraft on the ramp. Actually, funny enough, the airline was Lucky Air. Uh, so that's just kind of funny. Flying from Anqing, I'm sure I butchered that, to Kunming on February 17th. And there have been a few incidents in recent years where passengers don't really know that they're not supposed to throw things into the idle engine of an aircraft because they've never flown before and they do it for good luck and <laughs> that shouldn't happen. So this is a quote from um, Travel Pulse that says the incident cost a di direct economic loss of nearly $20,909 because they had to cancel the flight, get the mechanics out there fish out these little one yuan coins and this time the airline is actually suing the passenger for uh damages for the cost associated with canceling this flight that's a new one yeah so don't do that throw coins into the engine yes don't don't right. not don't sue people don't throw anything into the <laughs> engine that, that's that's really really bad but I'm kind of conflicted on, you know, suing for damages because it's likely this person had no idea they were doing something wrong, but that's not really an excuse, is it? I, I mean, no, it's it's not, I guess. But it's just you would think that they – I mean, it's happened enough that maybe they should put up a sign. Yeah, or put up like, I don't know, covers over the engine. But apparently this passenger was also detained for seven days, which seems a bit – Seems excessive. Excessive? Um I don't know about that, but that's that's China's prerogative, I guess. But just still, don't don't do that. Yeah, yeah, don't 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 do it. Can you tell me more about Japan, Tokyo's Haneda Airport? Oh, I thought you were going to stop at Japan, and I was no, going to talk you, all can about. Tell sushi. me more about Japan. Yeah, we're, we're going to have a whole whole seg whole different series of podcasts where we start. Yeah, we'll have to get John Walton back on the podcast. Yeah, for that, hey, we, we should have John back. Yeah, we should one of these days. But yeah, so Tokyo in Japan has two main airports, Narita way, way, way outside the city and Haneda right basically downtown. It's like the difference of taking a train to Philadelphia from New York to get to the airport versus taking you know the subway right up to the terminal. And they've slowly been opening – Haneda more and more to international airlines. There's limited operations now. Delta has a hub at Narita that they've been slowly drawing down. Passengers just prefer Haneda. And up to the 2020 Olympics, uh, Japan has been opening quite dramatically Haneda to more international flights. And a bunch of US airlines have had to apply for a limited number of slots. And Delta wants Seattle and Portland and LA. And American probably has the most interesting one. They want to operate a flight from Haneda to Las Vegas. I, I get it, I guess. Yeah. United wants to – they have applied for flights to their hubs. I believe 
Chicago, uh, Houston, and Newark. Two from Newark, I think. But and I, I believe I really, the the Chicago one would just switch from. Right. It, it wouldn't be a new flight. It would just be a switch from Narita to Haneda. Right. Hawaiian also applied for one of their flights. I guess they would directly replace their existing Narita flights. But I find that one American filing really interesting to Las Vegas, and I hope they grant that because it's really the only one that's not already served as a direct route, and I would be really keen to get that line in Tokyo nonstop to Vegas. I mean, why not? It, you yeah. know, if, if there's if there's gambling to be done, fly to Vegas, I, yeah, I guess. I believe Heinen was the first Asian airline to start up service to Las Vegas just last year or the year before. Yeah, I mean, I know that the only other, and it's not regular service, but Korean Air always during CES brings in uh, some heavy metal for the Consumer Electronics Show. So that's that's always interesting to to see. I know the the spotters get a, a, a always get some good photos of that. So the I thought we would end the show with some some quick kind of inside in the house news. And last week we released a new flight information panel, the thing that shows up on the left side of the screen when, when you click on a flight. Uh, well, that's and, what that's called. And we've added, uh, you, I mean, you can you can call it, it goes by many names. The thing uh, with the data. Exactly, the thing with the data. But the idea is that, that we added a lot more to it to, to kind of add more information and make it easier to, to kind of, you know, get at some things that took you know, kind of took you off screen and, and kept you on there. So there, there's more information about the flight, like the, the logo. There's arrival information for a lot of flights that are in North America, and we're slowly expanding that information out. So terminal, gate, and, and baggage information. So if, if you're picking somebody up at the airport and, and tracking the flight, you'll be able to to see, you know, wh- which baggage claim you want to to meet them at and things like that. But you can also get more history, easier to see the history, things like that. And and we added a tie-in with uh, my Flight Radar 24, which is our kind of – it's the – if you want to keep track of the flights you've been on, you can see people who have taken the flight uh, and see if anyone's on the flight at, at that time. And so you can click on for reviews and stuff. The big thing though is that we also made it responsive. And this is cool if you have a smaller screen, a bigger screen, or something like that. It's going to be much more responsive to your screen size and prettier to to look at uh, and and easier to see, which I know has been uh, something that we've been asked for for a while. So hopefully uh, everyone's enjoying that. I just wanted to call attention to it because it's something that we're pretty proud of. And the changes that are in the the web now uh, that aren't already available in the app will be available in the app in... uh, in the future. Cool. So that's uh, that's a, a little bit of a uh, little bit of housekeeping and uh, happy tracking. Episode fifty-two is in the books. It is in the books. So what what major news do you think will break the second I hit the stop button? Two thousand A three eighty orders. Let's see. Delta did Delta orders two thousand A three eighties. I mean, wouldn't that, that seems be something? likely. Yeah, uh, Aeroflot. Aeroflot will order 2,000 A380s. Uh, they will restart production. Yeah, you might want to head your bets on that one. I I will I just I I have no idea what'll happen, but when it does, uh, we'll be back in episode 53. I am Ian Pechnik. Thank you so much for listening. Here as always with Jason Rabinowitz, and thank you all for listening. Mm-hmm.